um, obviously you know how it is like it's your first real job and you have to get to know the office and the people and um, the project and so on and so forth. I was kind of fortunate due to this kind of BIM thing um, to get into uh, Kistefoss, uh, which is this kind of uh, twisting bridge slash museum in Norway, which I think is one of the most beautiful uh, projects because ever done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Insider podcast. In this podcast episode, my guest was Martino Hutz, German architect and former design lead at Björkingas Group. He's now based in Munich, where he started his own practice, Martino Hutz Architects. It's going to be a very interesting podcast. We talk about his education, how he joined BIG, what he learned there, what he could take from there and transmit it into his own practice now in Munich. What are the challenges? What projects did he work on? What projects he working on? So it's going to be very interesting. But before we start, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode. And before we start, to remind you a few ways to support the podcast. The simplest one, the one for free, you can just like the episode, subscribe to the channel, drop a comment below, say if you like the episode, say who you would like us to interview, what you would like to see more on the podcast. The second part, if you like the podcast a lot, you can subscribe to our Real Insiders on Patreon, link below or join any of the tiers of YouTube, interns, seniors, and partners. You can go and check it out and get some perks. If you just like it for one time and you want to just be nice to us, you can use the super thanks button where you can donate a little bit of money for the production and existence of this podcast. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast however you like, and now enjoy the conversation with Martino Hutz. Hello, Martino. Welcome to the Creative Insider Podcast. We finally managed to, to do it. Yes. Hi, Gargi. Happy to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. You are one of the first guests that I first met in real life and then I meet on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. We had a nice meeting in Frankfurt. Yeah. You, you texted me and we met. We had a nice pizza. I was super... I was super happy that there are people that actually connect and uh, it was super interesting to hear your story. So let's share it with everyone because uh, I will introduce you briefly. You were a design lead at the Björk Ingels Group in Copenhagen and then you left the company a, a couple of years ago and now you started your own practice. Is that right? Yes, that sounds good. How... You you have a very interesting background. When we when we met, you told me a little bit about it. But uh, I didn't ask you how did you decide to become an architect at all. Is somebody in your family an architect, or how did you come up with this idea? Uh, no, actually, it's um, I don't know. I guess it's a little bit like step by step. I've always been fan of sketching and drawing for my whole life. Maybe that's something which I, I got from from my grandma. So I was sitting with her, like sketching and sketching all over again. And actually, I just moved two months ago into a new apartment, and my mom gave me all these boxes of uh, different different sketches, which were piling up in her basement. And she was like, "No, please, now take them." Anyway, so this was this was uh, I still like like drawing and sketching. Um, 
this was definitely one side, but then the other I also was quite technical in a sense. So I, I don't know, I was uh, fixing my bike when I was six years old and stuff like that. So I kind of started really early to be, to, to get into the, the technical side of things or demounted stuff and, and stuff like this. Um, so yeah, and I guess then first I wanted to become inventor, then movie maker, and then I started this various internships, and then I just, uh, I just yeah started to study. Where where did you where did you study? Your uh, are you from? You're now based in Munich. Are you originally from there, or where? Because you're a German, but I don't know. I didn't, I didn't ask you from which city are you actually from. Yes. Yeah, actually, I was born in Italy, but then my family moved to, to Munich when I was basically a year old. So I would say I'm from Munich, nevertheless. Um, but then I kind of, well, I mean, before I started studying, I did one year of, of internships. I was um, just starting already in high school, um, working at a local architecture office here in Munich, which was quite nice. Uh, I'm still in good contact with them. And then I kind of got interested in it. And then after I finished um, high school, I wanted to leave as early as I could. And then I ended up being in Bangkok and started an internship as an architect uh, or an architecture office. So that was also kind of like a nice experience. And then which I can also recommend to everybody who starts architecture school, do you do your interns if possible, even before to so kind of get an idea how how an office life would look like um, and then then I yeah it was almost like a year of, of internships in, in Munich and Bangkok and then I um, left to Hamburg to do my bachelor's and then after three years um, yeah three years in Hamburg I went one year to Paris and from Paris I applied um, to Angewandte to Studio Zahadid where I then did my master's and then actually, like I graduated in 2016, then already with uh, Katsuru Zijima. So this was kind of the the short. Did you? Version. So you started working. Uh, you went also to Bangkok before even starting studying architecture. Yes. Oh, that sounds, was, sounds cool. How did you manage to be accepted? Like. When you told them you just uh, are a passionate of or architecture, but not really an architect yet, how was how were you accepted? Yeah, actually, in, in Germany, it's more common to do this kind of internships in your high school time. So you kind of maybe just for one or two months or so. Um, so I wasn't expecting that it would be so bad or so hard to get into offices because. Worldwide, I would say you usually take people when they're in the second year or so, like as a minimum to have some basis. But I was already kind of nerdy with, with software. So I knew Photoshop and uh, Illustrator back, back in the times. So I, I like to work with Flash uh, and stuff like this. So I had like a basic knowledge of graphics, mainly graphics. I know uh, Archicad already um, through my internship here in Munich. And nevertheless, I guess I wrote like, let's say, 50, 60 um, applications. And I only got like one crazy Australian. 
who <laughs> accepted me. And then I was, uh, he, he said, yeah, come by. And he had this small studio. And then uh, he, I was just, yeah, hello, this is my portfolio. And he's fine, sit down. There's some graphics for some uh, interior project. I will be back in four hours and start working. <laughs> and this is kind of what I did for, for half a year. Sounds great. I'm curious what were, because you had a very like, uh... Glo uh, globe tropper uh, globe like uh, global and development as an architect what was your motivation for architecture because also like to get accepted in uh, vienna to study with zaha Hadid, as you said it's probably a hard test to get admitted once you finish your bachelor what was your understanding for architecture what made you passionate about it what made you love it um yeah it's maybe two questions because first of all I always thought wherever you go to, to work or study is part of your education so for me it was always clear first of all I don't want to stay in my hometown just for the sake of breathing some fresh air and getting to know new cultures and architecture and, and way of thinking um, so this is something I almost took for granted no matter what um, that, that what brought me to Hamburg, which is basically the, the furthest, almost the furthest north you could go um, out of German standards. Um, yeah, and then it was, I mean, even before, I mean, you know how it is. Before university, you just get a sense of what it could be. And then I was just from, from when I was, went to Hamburg from day one, I kind of swallowed everything I could could get basically each and each and every lecture and architecture books and libraries and talking to people and stuff like this. So it just became more and more, let's say, uh, I was diving into this world more and more. And of course, like it's super nice to travel and to have these experiences. But um, if it's not too personal, if I may ask, um, how did you manage to afford? Because also staying in cities like, I mean, I don't know, Bangkok probably is not so expensive, but Paris, Hamburg, they're still quite pricey cities. Did you work also while studying or did you have support from your family? How did you manage to to afford that? Yeah, a um, bit of both. So there is, um, I mean, Bangkok, I was um, constantly in minus for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um but it was also relatively cheap, um, and I could. I had friends there where I could crash their couch for a couple of weeks, and then I found like a tiny apartment. I got little payment already from from the office where I was working, so I kind of managed. Then Paris, you get the Erasmus fundings and a little bit of support uh, of my family, and then of course I was always working on on the side, so a little bit of of both. But um, looking back, you're surprised how little you need to, to survive. <laughs> and also how little you're happy with. Because I noticed yeah. that when I was a student, like I had a nine square meter room. My first room here in Frankfurt was nine square meters just with a bed, a sink. And we had like a shared uh, toilet and a shared uh, showers. And I, I was super excited <laughs> to be there. <laughs> 
finally have your own. Yeah, absolutely. The worst, I also had the worst apartment I ever lived in in Paris. So I was sharing it with a friend and then you entered. There was like a tiny kitchen the size of a table. Then it was his room. Then there was my room and then there was the bathroom. So <laughs> whenever he went to the loo, he had to cross my room and vice versa. So, um, yeah, we were, we became very close friends. <laughs> I lived in a in a student dorm tower and it was like, as I said, everything was shared, the kitchen. And also what was uh, super interesting is that um, like there were the female and the male bathrooms and showers. But of course, you had to go like to the shower with maybe your towel or something. So you, it was really exciting for a young person to sometimes see like girls walking around Italy, like where did I land? But I don't know, but I like it. It's, not, it's, a, it's could a, be worse. Could be worse. Could be worse. I like this uh, whole sharing spaces thing. Here. Based on good architecture planning, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yes. It was my first uh, experience in Germany. And one thing that I noticed also when I moved here, um, of course, I partied a little bit but I was very focused to study because I came to Germany because I knew that there were better opportunities um, for me as uh, like for my career and the approach to architecture between Italy and Germany is different um, I like to think that the Mediterranean area has a certain approach and the Nordic and German area has a different one France is something I think on its own because it's neither Mediterranean, neither Nordic. Um, what is your observation? Because you've studied in uh, Germany, you've been to France and then you've been in Austria. What is your observation on what is the different? And then you've been to Denmark, of course, but then professionally. Um, what What is your observation about the differences? What were your takes from this experience uh, on the approach of architecture in the different countries? Um, yeah, good question. Um, I, I agree. It's definitely different from country to country. Um, and it's kind of true that the, the prejudices uh, also are a little bit self-fulfilling. So uh, like what you would describe as, let's say, the rational German kind of way of teaching was kind of true. Like uh, even though the university in Hamburg wasn't super technical, it was uh, rather like a good base education to get a good overall sense. And then when I went to Paris, I mean, I love the city. I also enjoyed the time at the university, but it was very much kind of, there was a teacher telling you what to do for next week, kind of almost writing you homework. Um, and the approach was also way more, um, I guess some, in some ways more artistic, but also less flexible in a sense that they, the professors were, you know, these kind of people with their opinion, with their style. And then as a student, you kind of followed, followed them um, all the way through. And then of course, Vienna Angewandte was a little bit like a special case because the, the yeah, Angewandte was this international uh, context. This could have been, I guess, every, anywhere in the world, being with Zaha and the international um, fellow students. So that that was a bit bit of a special case, I would say. What did you What did you learn there? What was um, like? There is 
in every architect's mind there is this mythology of archi stars and you've managed to work with a couple of them what was for example your experience with Zaha did um it was i mean first of all the first like it's it's a three years master program or i mean it still is now under a different professorship so the first two weeks are studios and then you get mixed up with older students in higher semesters and the whole the overall studio was around 30 people so you i was very lucky to be accepted um and maybe also to add i i would say i was only accepted because uh first of all i was in in, uh, in paris before so i had i don't know let's say my my english was slightly better i had some some international background um, by being in Paris. And then I was, when I was in Hamburg, the moment I heard somebody told me like, yeah, by the way, there's a small Zaha office in, in Hamburg. Uh, I was like, what? And back then I was like the biggest fan. Um, and then I applied and applied and applied. So I would say this was almost like the, the, the starting point for, for what came later because uh, up until that point, it was just like a random student. Um, I mean, I was after that as well. But when I and then eventually they they uh, they they I, I was able to work there for for half a year or so, helping for some competitions. But I was really trying hard to get into Zaha um, office in, in Hamburg, and then that worked. And this also then I would say brought me into the studio. And then the, 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 the environment um, at the Angewandte, so you, you started with, the, with older colleagues, which already put you in the mood. So it was completely different. You, the first thing I had to do, buying a new computer to get kind of uh, some uh, render power and computational power. And then you just keep going. And in the, in the morning, you had normal courses, let's say art history or technical stuff. And then in the afternoon, or after lunch, there was studio time. And then it was just completely normal to work from, yeah, from first course starting at nine up until evening, nine, and, uh, nine o'clock as well. And then most of the time you really spend there with your team uh, working on, on, yeah, on your studio project. How were the teachers? Because, for example, I've had on the podcast Chris Bosse, who had studied under under Peter Zumtor, and he told me this super funny story that they would work the whole night to manage to prepare all the layouts and everything for the presentation, and then Peter Zumtor shows up, and for example, he sits with his cigar, close his eyes, and says like you want this room dark, but how dark? Have you thought about how you want it, how you want it to be? What was uh, from that um, not so hands-on, like despite all the computational design softwares and things like that, uh, what was like the soft um, approach, like the software approach, like the idea, the um, how to create architecture, what is the design philosophy, what was taught? Yeah. I mean, this is what I really loved about it because at that point when I started Angewandte, I already studied for, for four years architecture and I kind of felt I have a good idea of what architecture could be. And then when I started, I really, really felt like I have 
zero, zero learn about architecture. I literally started from scratch. And, 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 and back to your question, I, what I loved about is they were really asking what's the essence of, of architecture. Let's say what I learned before was let's build a building, let's say let's build a, a school, um, and then you would say I take the wall for granted. You know, the wall could be out of bricks or out of uh, out of wood or something, but it's a wall, you know, with some with cladding, with plasterboard, whatever. And being at, at Zaha Studio was more like, what is a wall? So we were, for example, two semesters exploring uh, with Caramba. It's a plugin for Grasshopper. How structural systems could work, which questions the essence of architecture being a wall. And even though some people w- would say, oh, that's all Zaha style. Actually, if you would copy something which looked familiar, just out of laziness, it would co- it would, was a complete no go. So the whole idea was to really find like the, the something new to explore, to to get, find new shapes, new logics, new systems, new designs, and that was that was crazy. And it was a super talented people, and of course everybody was. Uh, was uh, respecting Zaha as much as as possible, or as you can think of. Back then, she just won the uh, Olympic um, Stadium in Tokyo, and she was named as uh, most most fam- most important hundred people by Times Magazine and stuff like this. So she was uh, really on her peak at that point. And then when there were, I mean, also stories, what, what you just said with, with Zumtor, there were stories like whenever, I mean, we were working like crazy, then there was the moment when she entered the building and the, the whole floor was buzzing with people, you know, you had students and moving models, and then suddenly it got quiet out of the blue. You were like just moving stuff or like hanging boards, and then it's like, okay, okay. It's getting quiet now. And then the whole floor became dead silent. And then there was like an assistant running. There was a second kind of uh, assistant running, her personal assistant running. And then she kind of came as this kind of uh, light figure into the space. And and the, she was pretty harsh, I have to say, but also really fair. She didn't care who presented or she didn't care uh, anything except the project quality and either she liked it or not if she liked it she didn't say anything if she hated it she would let you uh, know <laughs> so uh, really exciting or when she was to there were times when she was too busy to to fly to um, to, to Vienna uh, where she would uh, just fly in all the students and then we were sleeping on some Airbnbs, all, all paid by her, and flights paid. And then we were presenting in the studio. It was, uh, yeah, it was was beautiful times. What was uh, so you said she was harsh, but um, what was then the wall alternatives <laughs> you figured out? <laughs> that was super interesting. Can you share like what were then the after researching this topic of what were some of the conclusions you came up with in the class? 
You mean me personally after? No, whoever, what was like, because you said they like the, the, it's a little bit like first principles, right? Like Elon Musk designs his rockets. He goes back and says, what is a rocket and what do we need to make it? And then he starts from scratch and that's what you try to do with architecture. Like there are walls, but if there are no walls, what else could it be? So what were some interesting alternatives that you personally come up with or that you saw people coming up with? Because out of the spot, it's hard to imagine, like, what could it be? You mean like the specific case of a, what yeah, the wall yeah, could yeah, be? Yeah, like, because you mentioned that one, it was an interesting uh, question. Okay, uh, like very specifically in, in case of this wall example was like, um, we were analyzing uh, force flows on slabs and we were connecting the, the, I mean, let's say each floor has some some wall partitions. Let's say there is a wet room which should be closed, but there is a living room which should be more open. And we were basically connecting the first force flow within the slab to the usage below. Meaning, let's say, where we you would have a lot of columns, a lot of wall elements, because the bathroom would be inside. The, the, the slab could be way lower or thinner because you have less weight or the weight is better distributed among a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, wall elements. And whereas you have bigger spans and, and little columns because the program could uh, require it or would require it, um, the, the thickness of your slab would increase and the span would increase. And, and just like... Think, I mean, like today, there's beautiful references where where this kind of moved on quite 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 a bit, like block research group or um, or uh, the, the guys from from Stuttgart, Achimenges and stuff. This is all stuff which kind of goes on for for quite some time. Um, yeah, like this this were these were, for example, this was the, the, the this wall reference. And uh, was it, uh, is it um, the university in Vienna, the School of Applied um, Arts, private school or is it at a public one? How does it work? Because I'm not so familiar. It's a, it's a public one. So it's just very hard to get admitted. Are the tuitions very high because these super archy stars are teaching there or is it just a matter of like super hard to get in? No, absolutely not. I mean, it was 18 euro per semester, I believe, for you, uh, for your train ticket or something like that. American, no, American uh, people would get crazy when they <laughs> hear this. <laughs> I know, I know. No, I mean, that's the beauty of, of, of Austria. It's a very social country with a lot of uh, public benefits. Yeah, but Germany, Germany is good too. I mean, in Germany, it's not much more expensive. No, no, university is basically for free as well. That's true. I think this is one of the greatest things we have in Europe because it gives opportunity to more people to, you know, improve their, uh, so to say, social class. Because if you are able to get an education for a lower cost, even if you don't come from a rich family, you can you can go up by if you have talent. Um, and so you, you studied there three years. Uh, what happened afterwards? Where did you go? Did you go directly to Big, or did you uh, 
uh, start first somewhere else? Um, yeah, actually, I was uh, I graduated I think in in February, and then I was like probably like a month later uh, or like two. I was um, lucky enough to get a teaching position at TU Vienna as um, a university lecturer. Um, and this kind of, and then combined with some freelance work and so this gave me, um, basically a little bit of flexibility not to, to rush things. Um, and I was very clear at that point that Zaha wouldn't be an option for me, um, because that was kind of like, almost like, uh, unwritten law that if you did kind of okay at the, the studio, you could start working at her or maybe you in studio or maybe have a week. But uh, I wasn't interested in that. Um, so I really wanted to work for big or maybe had to come on that. These were kind of these two things, but out of these were like big, definitely my favorite office is they were fresh. I mean, they are fresh there. They were kind of young and, uh, things were moving fast. So I really felt like this is kind of next generation uh, excitement. Um, yeah. And then I was like, since I was uh, teaching and since I had my freelance jobs, I was just preparing my portfolio. I don't know. I went there once uh, kind of friend of a friend. She gave me like a tour through. I kind of applied, I reapplied and they said, cool. But then it took another two months. Um, yeah, and then eventually uh, I got the, the job interview, which was also funny because it was, I came from, from my whole portfolio was kind of um, Zaha stuff, you know, like parametric style and crazy renderings and very conceptual. And then I was like, pro, like presenting my, my diploma thesis and other stuff I did. And then it was kind of like the last question. Yeah, it looks all great, but um, uh, we also saw that you were working with Archicad, and could you show us like a construction detail? And it was like, mm, okay, wait a second, <laughs> it's somewhere. And then I, I had to close my portfolio. I had to go deep down in some old folders, and then I I presented basically a, a construction detail as the last part of this job interview. And then they were actually looking for for like a BIM, I wouldn't say specialist, like somebody who's good with BIM. And this is how I got actually in. So it wasn't with the fancy uh, Zaha stuff. It was really like technical knowledge in a, in a way. Well, this shows how like luck plays a big role into these uh, applications. And this is something that sometimes makes me question a lot of like the way that people evaluate architects because it's not about only like your design it's so complex it's like if you think in an architecture process the design part is like the little tiny bit in the bit in the beginning which is done by a little tiny group of people and then you give this for initial idea to a bigger group of people that to have to figure out now how to make it buildable. So it's, it's like, I mean, I have a lot of respect for people who have worked now. I know from all kind of offices, like I've been a couple of weeks inside MVRDV and uh, it's awesome. 
in the end of the day, yes, they do like cool projects, but when you need to build it, it's not so different than, I don't know, the office I work at. I mean, <laughs> it's no, pretty it's, much it's the same. These car offices, they, they basically, the later phases are always taken over by uh, local offices anyways. No, but like, I, I think like a very important point to make is that's what I'm always telling my students, like, don't take it personal if you apply. You know, like if a, a big office uh is is they looking at hundreds of hundreds of portfolios um and then it's just a matter of of what they're looking for they they see numbers and skills they don't think uh poor georgi or poor martino they have such a great portfolio um let's take him anyways it's it's not about this at all they have a free spot for a specific project which uh, pays the bills and then they need you so that's that's I think that's something in the beginning you feel like kind of frustrated maybe that I wasn't accepted in my office of my dreams, but so what? Just apply like two months later, maybe with a slightly updated portfolio and it might work. How, and when you moved there, when you ended up working there, uh, can you share some of the projects uh, you started working on or you worked? So you went there 2017, 18, something like that. Uh, 17 yes end of uh, end of 16 yeah okay and uh, you work on uh, several projects i'm curious like what was your experience there the observations the learnings you've as i said you have touched in somehow uh, an experience with zaha did and uh, with a very prolific environment um, how was big I mean, it was uh, it was it was great. I have to say, I was uh, quite fortunate since I I came not as an intern like most of the um, architects starting. They were doing like most of them probably like a year of internships, so they they know the office pretty well uh, and vice versa. And then they get a, a contract. For me, it was the rare case where I kind of joined right away as a, as a architect, uh, which made it also hard because, um, obviously you know how it is, like it's your first real job and you have to get to know the office and the people and, um, the project and so on and so forth. I was kind of fortunate due to this kind of BIM thing, um, to get into uh, Kistefoss, uh, which is this kind of, uh, twisting, bridge slash museum in Norway, which I think is one of the most beautiful projects Big has ever done. And the team was very cool. Some of them are still close friends. Uh, and I was there for quite some time. I think like all in all, maybe for, with some breaks and, and redesign phase, maybe for one and a half years or so. And then in between, I was kind of working a bit on Panda House, a bit on Vestra's Travel Center, couple of international offices. Um, so this kind of got mixed up then. And then in the last one and a half years, more or less, um, it was also coincidence. I kind of got staffed uh, after like a long summer break um, to uh, Capital Spring, which is this uh, tower in Singapore uh, with, a, with a walkway in, in the middle 
between the 17th and 20th floor. And I got in quite quite late actually when um, where construction administration began. So I kind of started when they were digging the, the, the foundation. And I ended when when the when the building was done, then way later uh, when I was already back to Munich. And and first I started as a as just a architect, a project architect, and then I took over project lead. Uh, on one point, and it was very, very great learning curve, very cool project actually, um, to see really like all the design things kind of really start happening. I was fortunate enough to travel to Singapore quite often to see the construction site, to coordinate uh, with the con contractor, uh, the client, local architects, also traveling to China and other places for um, material studies and tests and um, factory visits and stuff like this. So, uh, yeah, unexpectedly, this this became uh, the, the coolest thing in a way. I was before like, yeah, competition and stuff. And then, of course, it's it's exciting and very sketchy, designy. Um, but then again, it's, it's uh, I think you'll learn everywhere. And then, of course, the, the office is also, um, the, the office culture is very positive. Um, and like there's a lot of parties. Um, we went to Burning Man as a study trip, which was exciting. <laughs> well, that's a great, great study trip. Uh, yeah. No, I think that a lot of the um, architecture students um, and younger architects look at these offices and maybe they as you said, praise them more for their work in competitions, for the nice plans and the, and the drawings that they see online. But once you get involved into architecture, for me personally, the it's very beautiful to do the concept. It's very fun to figure out how the building is going to look like. But also for me, it's super rewarding when you... Mm, manage to finish the building and then at some point you have to manage samples and you and you go on the construction site and you see it taking shape and then you see the little details that you have designed that now works um so i think that when once you get a little bit more experience you actually look more at the finished projects and um, I think it's so nice when, for example, lately in the last couple of years, I did a lot of uh, my holidays, I planned them as a study trip. I went to the Netherlands a couple of um, weeks ago. We visited so many projects from all the great Dutch architects. And um, when you see the finished building, it's a little bit of, it gives you a little bit of distance from these like nice flashy plans. And you understand that it's not so difficult, actually, because you see it built and you say like, yeah, we think too into, I don't know, which software, which, uh, I don't know, parametric tool should you use. But in reality, you have to think about like, how do I, it's buildable, like, how do I build it? So it's uh, very interesting that you shared that. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, the challenge is... is I mean, every every phase is is a challenge in itself. Um, but of course, the biggest challenge is, is the moment it becomes reality. So this is you can have like a thousand good ideas if you never manage to kind of draw it into the real world. Then it's um, it's just frustrating. And at the same time, 
if you manage to tackle all the challenges along the way, I think this is the most rewarding thing by far in the probably in the whole world. <laughs> my my favorite is that sometimes I go to visit um, this uh, super, you know. Um, important buildings for us architects for example when i went to copenhagen i visit the eight house the vm houses and like as an architect you expect to see what is in the pictures that you've seen but then you see like some people put uh, i don't know flowers on their balcony other people put like <laughs> out there a they? parasol or something <laughs> <laughs> nobody gives a shit about <laughs> your beautiful images everybody's living in them and it's like gives you a little i like it i like that experience because it makes you think different when you design the project it makes you think yeah, about different things not only these aesthetics that we have taught in school and um you you mentioned this very cool stuff like this lifestyle and i've heard from many uh, people that work at big that uh, the the culture um it's very positive at the office um I mean, I don't know. Everybody, of course, can have a different experience uh, because it's a big office. Maybe you land in the wrong team and then you don't have such a great experience. Um, have you managed to to work like with some of the partners with Bjorke? Could you what what, for example, learnings did you get from there? Because in my opinion, the most valuable experience that you get in these offices is to see how they work and how they think so um yes i guess one thing one answer to that is that of course it's a big in the end corporate office which has a very very professional stuff um so just to get thrown i mean there's so many things you will never take as something you learn, but then you realize it later if you're in a different context, like how is a setup of a team? How is the timeline of a project? How, which kind of deliverables are to um, produce by whom? And all this kind of stuff. Actually, I think the, the, the more experience I have, the more interesting it gets is more almost like the, the business side of things. Um, but also like the way of, of working, you know, like small stuff, like to have team dinners after a deadline or to, to sit together, to have kind of, uh, lunch together, to have drinks together. Um, this is, this is maybe one answer to that. And then I, I really have to say, I was a kind of like a, a groupie, uh, before, uh, for, for Biake and I still am. <laughs> so I think it's amazing how how this positive spirit he has really drags into now I don't know 700 people spirits and of course there's also reality it's not like everything is a a, a pink bubble but I, I definitely would say that the overall atmosphere is very positive very um, like yes it's more kind of thing so this is really what I also what I felt um up at, up until today so if if the intern has the best idea it's going to be a crazy skyscraper with his scheme so there is no there is no hierarchy it's more like the best idea wins which i think is absolutely true 
I have one last question that it's uh, gonna be probably a little bit uh, come across maybe nosy. So you can decide as far as you want to answer this. But uh, I know that a lot of a lot of people. A lot of people will uh, say this, bro. I'm playing the skeptical person here, right? Um, all of this is great, great experience, great projects, great learnings. How was money? <laughs> you don't have to say numbers. You can say like, I mean, I always say don't say numbers. Say because I've heard from employees at uh, Archistar companies that, I mean, you get a little bit like... 10% or 15% less than what you would get in a traditional office just because you get to work there. But that's no, I no bad no. feelings too big. It's just to explain also what is the, the, the cost of these decisions that people can make. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, one thing I can definitely say, I knew I was making more money than uh, my colleagues at, at Zaha or, uh, <laughs> or Foster's or so. Um, so of course, Scandinavia is also, um, expensive to live, but, um, um, yeah. And, and then one beauty about Denmark, it's, um, that your salary is protected by the architecture union. So there is some sort of, uh, limit, some sort of guideline or like a range where offices can pay you. So, um, I could get uh, could get along. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> now we get to the more exciting exciting part because then at some point you left big. Uh, how come you he, how come you left? I, I mean, I guess it was not because you didn't like it anymore. Uh, what were you, the reasons to leaving? Yeah, it was a mixture of things. I have to say, like one thing was. Um, I kind of did my first side project uh, on kind of afterwards, which which was Trisuba, uh, uh, which I um, kind of worked like once once in a in a while, and then this got finished. Then I was like three years at Big. I kind of made it to a level where I thought like, wow, this is I'm I'm proud of myself. You know, I could kind of do this now for the rest of my life. And what's the end goal? And and then I thought like, yeah, well, like one of my long-term dreams was always to try it on my own. And of course, the, the longer you stay at an office uh, in general, but at big, the more spoiled you get, you get more responsibility, your team gets bigger, you get more um, salary, um, you maybe have to work less crazy hours. So everything becomes more convenient to make you stay longer. And, and then I was at the point where after three years, uh, Singapore was kind of running out. Um, and then I was kind of starting to get new kind of big competitions. And then it was like, ugh, before I kind of really get into that, maybe it's a good time to, to, to just try. And then I got like an um, assistant uh, position at TU Munich. Um, which also, which was, was great and uh, was an interesting research project on 3D printing with salt. So I kind of thought like, why not giving it a go now, now or never? And yeah, this made me, uh, made me leave. I remember on my goodbye speech, I think I started like, 
it was in the middle of a deadline and I was kind of swamped. Like I just have to quickly have my goodbye speech and then like, wait a second, <laughs> I'm leaving. That's my last day. And actually, I kind of continued the work. Even though I, I took my laptop. My wife now was uh, driving the car and I was uh, working, um, having still my, my laptop uh, open, working on my, my laps. Um, trying to get the, to finish up this competition, which we, we were just uh, doing. So it, it never, it, it wasn't definitely a goodbye, but it was also more like, I just need like a new uh, context. And I mean, up until today, I'm still working with and for big now as, as kind of external consultant and in various projects. I finished up the Singapore project which uh, also due to COVID got like prolonged uh, for another two years, I think after I, I moved back to Munich. So it's, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how it started. And since, and since you've moved back and started your own office, um, what kind of project have you managed to work on? Um, yeah. And how you get them. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> maybe also worth to say, like Munich is my hometown, but it also was a bit of a strategic uh, decision um, because in, in my mind, the, the city is, um, is wealthy, but kind of conservative. So I thought I could maybe fill in like a small niche of uh, more design focused, uh, more kind of special architecture kind of niche which I couldn't see so much happening here. Mm. So, yeah, this, this kind of made me uh, also kind of go back. And then, um, yeah, this kind of all, almost answers your question. And then, I mean, so maybe also worth, to, I mean, I was never from day one, I was never in need of, of commissions or jobs, which is very fortunate. So I'm really thankful for that. So it was never the problem to get enough jobs. It's, it's more the problem to find the right clients and to find somebody which kind of matches your, um, your own portfolio. I think this is the biggest learning curve I, I had to take in the past three years, not to say just yes to everything as, as in what you do in the beginning, like, yeah, project, let's do it. Um, or like, even like, a, I don't know, like standard, architecture work, which is nice. You know, you learn from everything, nothing bad about it, but um, definitely I'm also not the best in drawing, uh, I don't know, um, technical details and stuff like this um, or how to renovate like an old farmer's house. It's a beautiful job, but it's, uh, it's maybe not my expertise. So this is, this is kind of what I, I had to gradually learn um, to really focus more on design, design focused project, let's say. When did you um, move back? What year? Before the pandemic or after? Just before. Oh, just okay. before. It was end of 2019. And so basically you're doing it like this. You have this, uh, you're an assistant in the, in the Theo Munich or Theo Vienna? Um, yeah, I'm um, like in Vienna, I'm still, that's the longest job I have. I think now in the eighth year <laughs> is like, um, it's called university lecturer where I teach um, like the uh, design studio. 
And then in Munich, I was for two and a half years um, university assistant where I was researching. But then the, the job ended basically with a professor retiring. And then I was also at this point, uh, I, was, I was feeling let's, let's focus uh, as much as possible on, on my, my own business. But basically, you have these like uh, lecture uh, gigs that uh, pay you the bills, and then uh, in your spare time, you work on your own practice, or you have enough time to work on your uh, practice, and that's it's when you manage to gather new projects and work on them, right? It, it kind of shifted with with the Munich project. It was kind of like that, but it was also twenty uh, hours a week. So it took way more time than um, than, than the job in, in Vienna. I just like still love Vienna and I love teaching and I just love coming back once in a while. So this is more like a, let's say, fun side hustle. And um, what was your experience then with the scenery of uh, clients in Munich? Because you mentioned, I don't think it's only Munich, I think it's Germany, uh, um, that it's a little bit more conservative. But in defense of German clients and developers, I was attending this um, nice event in Frankfurt last week or two weeks ago now. There were people from Zaha Hadid, from um, UN Studio, from Sauerbruck and Hutton. And um, they mentioned that in Germany, there are 20,000 building regulation rules all over. And in the Netherlands, there are 9,000. So also, <laughs> so also the constraints are much more than, and I think it's sometimes it's ridiculous because I think, come on, like Dutch people are not stupid. Their building are not falling down. Their people are not dying burned inside. Maybe we should like think it through. Like it's a little bit stupid to, um, to have this. And also my former boss, Holger Meyer, he was also on the podcast and he said, all these regulations makes building also too expensive. And in a situation like the one we are now, the crisis is getting bigger because if it's so expensive, like even to build a cube, then why should you even try to build something different? So, yeah, they, they just actually released like a special um, building regulation, which is this kind of wild card. I'm not sure if you heard about this because everybody knows it and feels it. And definitely that's something which just makes uh, our our built environmental environment just worse. But also it, it's this new class of building called Class E, which is supposed to be experimental class. But also it's kind of like stupid to, to, to have a wild card instead of just saying, okay, let's change some of these rules or eliminate the rules. Because also I probably then you end up... Um, having to negotiate with the um, authorities if you can uh, qualify for this class and it sounds a little bit the german solution to <laughs> stay stiff <laughs> i felt it like a quick fix rather than fighting against like uh, how many did you say 20000 20000 uh, regulations you just the wild card might be the faster way I mean, I don't know, you've worked in other countries. Um, here in Germany, we have these DIN rules and they're ridiculous. <laughs> like they're for, for literally every single thing that, that there is in your house, like 
Even if there is a little button on some lamp or something, there is a whole paper that is like 20 pages that explains everything that that button should do. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah. But, but how was it for you? Like, I mean, you managed to do some, I, I'm scrolling through your website and there are super nice projects. You definitely can see that you have worked at big. You definitely can see that you uh, are a parametric design uh, master. No, no, I mean, um, I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I would say parametrism is like a, a great tool, but um, only when it's needed. No, it's all for the sake of the best uh, space of the best uh, architecture. No, but like, um, I was quite fortunate that I could um, work also with bigger offices together. Maybe not bigger in, in numbers, but uh, bigger or like in, in staff, but uh, way more established. And this, I would almost say probably 50% of my work I was doing in collaboration with the more established offices. And this, of course, made the beginning especially way easier um, to, to, to build something or to get a building approval or to deal with very technical stuff. I, I, I basically had like somebody ex more experienced uh, which could support me in, in these things. In the, with established German offices, you mean? Or... Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, local offices. And you work on like uh, more offices that are um, not offices, more projects that are under constructions, uh, or it's also you do competitions. Um, what is your strategy in that sense? I mean, I, probably eighty percent of my work uh, will is not on the website and will probably never be. <laughs> so I kind of I only put the stuff which I really think I, I love. So there is a lot of big projects which are way more, um, let's say, reality, closer to reality than what it, what it is on the website. No, so I'm asking because, like, it's I know how hard it must be to lift up like a practice from from zero. I mean, and also like as you said, you want to do something that's more. Um, yeah, more ambitious than what we see around us here in Germany. So I'm, that's why I'm curious, like, yeah. what is your approach? I mean, you never start from, from zero. That's maybe something you have to keep in the back of your head from time to time. It's a good education. It's a good environment. It's, uh, it's, it's not like a, an office with, from your parents or stuff, but it's... Um, I, I feel quite privileged in a sense that um, just that I'm able to do what I do through university, um, through the connection with BIG, through the connection to other offices. I mean, one of them is the one I did my internship before I started um, st started with architecture school. So this is like a connection which is 15 years old or so. So that's one thing. And then... I don't know. There is no, there is no strategy. <laughs> you just go with the flow. You just go, go step by step and see what comes next. 
now after so Amazing. many so many years don't you think Zaha did should have also taught you guys how to sell the design and make millions of euros <laughs> i think that's something that nobody teaches at the university like everybody is like focused on designing this thing and i was thinking about it today why nobody teaches you because selling architecture is something very hard because if you need to sell me this bottle you like you want this bottle here is the bottle and i sell it to you and you get a bottle like i can talk about the feature of this bottle a lot like uh i don't know you're annoyed that the glass bottle gets broken well get a metal one but how do you sell like a service that 99 of the people think they can do themselves like <laughs> they go to ikea and buy furniture and <laughs> do their house <laughs> with So I don't know. I think this is a big lack in education to to teach people like, okay, let's do architecture business class or something like that. I agree. I agree. I think it's very hard to teach, but I also think at the same time, there's 100% sure a lot of kind of really easy steps you could follow. And of course, like I also had like... Uh, In the beginning, I did the mistake, the way what I learned at BIC, you know, you come up with like 100 options and stuff like this. Um, that That's too much for the client if you, if you want to build like a house or something like that. So these were things that I just learning step by step and I still do. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, I think maybe the biggest learning or one thing I really learned the last three years was Um, you just have to be ready and you have to be at the right spot at the right time. So I had clients where we had maybe like a preconcept of something completely detached. And then like one and a half years later, he was calling me for like a, a huge job. And if I would have said like uh, just before, yeah, look, you know, I'm, uh, it's not going to work. Um, I just start uh, being employee somewhere again, um, I would have missed this chance. So I can just recommend everybody who wants to try to have your own office, just try to keep it alive as long as possible and then try to push it um, and be ready whenever the, the, the chance, your, your chances are coming. But having said this, of course, it's also, you have, you, you have to be able to, to get it going And this was, for example, for me, the university job I, or keep your costs very low. That's also like a huge, huge uh, advice I could give. Like it's going to explode anyways on one point. Um, did you, when you started the office, did you have also some sort of like a runway where you said like, I mean, of course you had this uh, incomes that you were having, Um but like some runway to say, okay, even if I wasn't making any money, I could stay for like six months, seven months, 10 months without any job. Yeah. I mean, luckily enough, I never had this situation. I had the, the university job. I had uh, quite intensively also big at this point. So it was more like I had too many jobs and maybe also one thing I did from quite the beginning, I was trying to outsource um, as much as I could, in a sense, I probably like after the first two, three months, I already got like an intern or like a, a student helping me for the drawing work. Um, because this takes in, in architecturality so much time and energy 
I felt like if I'm sitting here drawing like a side plan for three days, um, it, it's, it doesn't bring me forward. So this is something I try to do very early on to do, to, of course, to do the thinking, to do the designing, to do the sketching, but then everything which is production, I, I was almost able to outsource from, from the beginning on to really focus. I mean, there, there's so much stuff happening, which is not architecture. I would almost say in, uh, it kind of changes from, from time to time, but I would say 60% of my time is not architecture related. And then from the the forty percent which is left, the majority is more um, project management. And then the design part, as you said, um, is is quite little. And then it's more coordinating um, your staff and coordinating the workflow and stuff like this. Yeah, indeed. Because also when the design is done, then there is also all this work that it's just. As we said before, like bringing it forward, designing all the things that are needed, the construction documentation. Um, one thing that I also think is that um, we architects have this tendency to talk a lot to each other, but we don't get an education in communicating to actually other people who will be the clients. Um, what is your opinion on that? Because a lot of other people from other industries like graphic designers um, or web designers they talk i have the feeling they talk more like to people and we talk more to other architects yeah i i couldn't agree more and unfortunately at the same time i'm i'm just like that (laughs) (laughs) i love talking like over like a bottle of wine about architecture and discussing and uh and I hate this idea of going to some, I don't know, fair, uh, some exhibition and trying to, or playing golf or whatever you should do um, to get clients. Um, yeah, I, actually I would love to get like a, a business business partner in a sense, like all this 80% what I'm doing or the, the 60%, which is not architecture related. It would be great to have more like a, yeah, like somebody with a business focus or maybe like a, um, a HR or like a kind of co- commercial focus in a sense that um, I could do more uh, architecture. But I think that, for example, the strength of Bjork Ingels and um, the one, the main reason for which I, I like uh, him and I like the office, he managed to built together with the whole team that's behind him. It's not himself alone. Um, there are also the, all the business people that actually are the one that uh, made it so successful, is that he managed to communicate architecture to other people that are not architects in a way that they care. Because I have the feeling that, uh, for example, all the other architects that uh, don't have bad, uh, don't have good feelings for him, don't like that he broke this way of communicating uh, to each other in this very somehow elevated way. As you said before, that um, when Zaha Hadid showed up at the office, everybody would start getting still and the assistant ran back and forth. 
And uh, as you said, also in France, the architects in Italy, also the architects have this super superiority feeling that, I don't know, they are something special. And this guy managed to communicate people the, to people architecture and show them how cool it is and make them care that, I don't know, if you build the water protection of lower Manhattan in a certain way, it could be actually fun. If you make the rooftop of a building accessible, it could be fun. So don't you think that's also like a skill that some like architects should focus on to like understand how to talk, as you said, on a bottle with a bottle of wine on dinner to other people and explain them and excite them about architecture? Yeah. I mean, first of all, Bjarke has Sheila um, yeah, yeah, for, but... for the business and also um, there is a Dörte Mandrup has, I think, as the, the second or just equal equally important person, also a business person. Uh, Henning Larsen, I think, was, is, is, uh, maybe I'm, I'm talking nonsense, but I think they were sell to Rumble. So there is like, I'm just saying that I think many successful offices you see the, the name, you see the, the, the person, um, but you there is a very smart business uh, behind or like a business system behind PR, um, management, uh, IT, and so on and so forth. And all that, uh, Bjarke could have the best ideas and the best uh, yeah, pitch. Yeah. If you don't have all this, it's not going to be a built building. Um so yeah, this is like a site which is maybe not so sexy or uh, left little people talking about it, but it's it's uh, absolutely essential. And then you write like how to how to sell a product, and I think Bjarke just found a very smart way at a time where you know like this very academia architecture, how to break it down and really sell it in a very simple way what's the benefits for for you as a as the client as a customer and not from this kind of uh, elevated what you said uh, way but at the same time everybody has to find his own way of presenting i cannot if i would i mean of course i kind of inhaled it by now after seven years with big but uh, of course now i'm also trying let's say for example if i want to sell a product uh, or a uh, design in, in in Munich, in Germany, um, I have to find a different way of talking, of presenting. The client expect me to not to be the, the funny Dane. They expect from me to be uh, maybe more serious, more uh, with a, a deep technical knowledge of things, you know. They ask me, how much is a square meter of drywall? And, uh, you know, like these kind of things, I don't think you would... Uh, you, you would have asked if if you have kind of like a Bjarke approach. So I don't know. Uh, it's very hard to tell. I think it's something mainly you will figure out throughout your career, like how to deal with problems, um, what kind of attitude you have towards problems or maybe hard negotiations. I think this is very essential. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I didn't say that you have to copy the style, but like that, these are some things that nobody ever taught me, at least in my um, architecture education. And I think that it's 
I mean, it's also like I don't know. It's a very it's a very weird profession we have because we identify a lot with it. Like uh, I was reading um, this book actually. Uh, it's called Architect and Developer, which is by this American guy, and he to- he's an architect who started doing a project development. Um, and he explains in this book how we are very weird because sometimes uh, we are accepting to work for less money in order to do a specific kind of project, which if you think about it, it's ridiculous to any other profession because um, if you're a lawyer, let's say, or maybe, I don't know, just an office employee at some public mm, government branch, you don't care like what you put your stamp on or <laughs> or where you type like things on. You just care about like your paycheck. And we have this very difficult uh, job that it's not an art. It's not a technical job. It's it's a very mix of everything. But of course, this is exactly what you describe is kind of the, the beauty about it and maybe the drama about it, that it's just in between two different worlds. How much would a Jeff Kuhn worth, you know, like it could worth a five euro, uh, which is worth the paint, or it could worth like 50 million euro. It's just uh, a matter of somebody being interested in it. Yeah. So, We're like, uh, I, I like to think about architects as, you know, the chefs that um, cook at uh, star restaurants, you know, because... And what is the value of the pasta you buy at the star restaurant? More or less the same as the one you buy at the supermarket. But the whole added value is from the skill of the chef to put the ingredients together in this way that uh, makes you experience food in a different way. And we do the same. Like, I mean, you can hire... If you were to build your family home, you can basically figure it out yourself. It's not so complicated. But if you want to live in a certain way or have a certain added value, then you need somebody that has been educated uh, on putting, putting, putting the ingredients together. And do you have any plans or visions for your impact practice? Or as you said, for now, it's just going with the flow and see what opportunities opens. Uh, or are there some opportunities that are opening that you can mention or that you cannot mention yet? No, there is actually a lot of stuff going with the flow um, is kind of true, but of course you have to have a focus. Maybe what I briefly said before, I really try now to kind of strengthen the stuff I I know best and maybe uh, more reject things I, I, where I would say they're still beautiful, they're still nice to work, but it's, um, it maybe distracts me from the main goal. So. Um, I mean, I would love to still keep the 3D printing and architecture going. This is stuff I'm, I'm researching. I would, um, this sort of uh, very design-focused kind of uh, interior design is something I love because you can just be more, more playful. Um, it's more into detail um, than, than maybe like big-scale architecture. Um, then up until product design, you see some lamps behind me there, kind of first tests of 3D printed um, lamps, which we, which were actually part of a, like an interior project we just uh, we just opened, um, or like a, a bar project where we could really do from 
like literally everything from 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 uh, bespoke lighting to uh, to the light switch basically was uh, and this is this is I think uh, some something I really kind of love doing the whole thing and then experimenting talking to companies figuring out really how to build like a crazy design um, so yeah th this is basically things I'm um, I'm further exploring. How does your typical day looks like? Um, I try to keep it to normal hours. So uh, I would say uh, starts at nine. Then uh, I have one staff uh, kind of regularly, maybe two depends on, on, the, on the project. So we are quite a small team. And now we just tackle the work what needs to be done. So, um, um, there is, there is no, uh, and, and at the same time, it, it really changes. Like uh, the office is three years old, but every month I feel like there is new things happening. So, um, how, how much time can you manage every day to work like hands on, on projects? Like, as you said, actually doing design. Yeah, <laughs> I would, uh, Probably, I mean, what I said earlier, so maybe it's uh, it's 40%, maybe it's 20%. This is where I would say I really have time to, actually, like the best design ideas, if I, they, I wake up in the middle of the night and think, shit, this is something I should have done differently. And then I just kind of uh, half sleepy walk to the, to the table and sketch something out or draw something on my phone or just take a note. Um, it's, it's something like, I, I think many people know this or many architects, when you have something brewing in your head, it's not like you have a nine to five thing. It's just like you just work on something, you digest it, you redo it, you massage it, you test it, and then something uh, great comes out eventually. I, I always, I feel it like a puzzle, you know, that um, they give you like a, things to solve and then you're working on it and then sometimes you get tired and then you leave it and then your brain unconsciously keep working on it and you think ah yeah let me try again and then actually yeah, there, a puzzle, maybe like a puzzle has in a way uh, you can see that it's not finished but like that's why there is so much architecture the way it is because you can do it in, in one afternoon I could draw you a master plan which looks like a master plan which you might think the puzzle is solved and many offices are doing it. And then, you know, like to really kind of, I would almost see it, it's more like layers coming on top of each other. And the more you have, the more refined it gets. And a puzzle would be too easy, I feel. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's clear that it's not working, but it's, it's absolutely not. Well, it's more like a puzzle without a picture. Like <laughs> you have just to figure out which pieces. I mean, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think that actually no project has ever been finished completely because every building I've been in, you can find some uh, flaws, and you say like, mm, like. Uh... Yes, in in that sense, you're right. I was thinking these sort of puzzles where you basically see the no no the no I, more like a puzzle yeah. like a I don't know something that you don't a box that you don't know how to open or like you know you you 
try, 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 and then you're like, no, it's not the solution. And then you try again, and and then maybe you're closer, or maybe you solved one little part of it. So it's um, mm-hmm. in a, it's a very weird feeling to explain to anyone else because also we feel attached to it. I mean, I guess that. Uh, when you see the building in Singapore, you work on so many little tiny details that probably most of the people don't see or don't notice that they were so important. But then when you go there, you know that and you feel like connected to a building, to a place, which is very weird. Yeah, of course, of course. And... Um, I was thinking about asking you something and then I forgot because we started talking about this. Sometimes it happens because we talk uh, about so many topics and uh, so many interesting things that um, I'm sometimes lost in my in my mind. Um, Maybe to, to fill, fill the gap, there is, a, I think Rem Kola said this, like a successful building has many... Um, like say parents and the unsuccessful has no parents. No, I, I think it's it's very true. Like if if people love a building, you can be the architect, you can be the electrician, or you can be somebody living there and everybody feels attached to this building. And rather if it's a bad if it didn't work out, I don't want to say bad design, I think it's a very true thought that nobody feels connected, nor the architect, nor the builder, nor people using or living in the space. And I think that's 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 it's very true actually. Yeah, one thing that pisses me off so much by working at uh, normal offices is that sometimes um, there are people that are just accepting, as you said, to not actually finish the puzzle, but they say they finished it. And uh, I hate that because I'm maybe I'm still young. Maybe I, when I have kids and stuff, maybe these things will change. But to me, it's like, come on, like if we spend eight hours or nine hours in this place, let's at least make something we're proud of instead of just, you know, fulfilling the contract with our client. Like, come on, let's push it this, let's stay 10 minutes more or think 15 minutes more. Um, and, and then... But what if it's 15 hours or 15 days or one and a half months, you know? And then comes what you said before, is it art or is it like a business? And would a lawyer work 15 minutes or 15 hours more for something? And I think that's that's sometimes it just don't care at all. I just want to get the absolutely best results to, to mainly make myself proud. And then of course, uh, everybody else. Yeah, of course. I mean, in your case, if it's also your office, it's even more like you don't think that way. I think that if I was working on my own office, I would be like, whatever it takes, like 24 um, seven. But I think that when you're in employed of course i mean i also think okay um i will make it cool as much as possible <laughs> in the time i'm paid for because i mean uh it depends what they give you as a reward right if they say okay in the end of the project you can have some rights in saying that that was your project okay let's let's work 
an hour extra every day or if they put some contracts based on bonuses how successful the project will be let's do it but um, the thing is that sometimes in architecture this passion that we have it's um, used for profit of the companies or i mean and now it sounds bad and i know that some companies themselves don't make that much extra money on the projects but they have to improve this and i this is also another thing that for me it's very sensitive for architects is that they're passionate and sometimes they're used by big office like not big but bigger offices archistar offices because they know that these people are very happy to do this even for free i remember when i got my first job here in germany they hired me because they didn't have good uh, photoshop people and I did their Photoshop, like um, elevation sections, um, all kind of floor plans. And I was thinking, I would do, <laughs> I do this for free at university. I would do it for free. And they're even paying me. And I think that, um, yeah, as you said, this is the beauty of our profession. But it's also like sometimes sort of a curse that uh, we see things in this way. But anyways, we could talk for hours, but I don't want to, talking about long hours, I don't want to keep you away from home for too long. It's already almost nine in the evening. Um, every podcast finishes with the, um, with the, this last question that is common for everyone. Uh, we are very sensitive souls as architects and sometimes this creative battery or this energy to solve the puzzle goes in the lower level of energy. Is there something that you like do to recharge? Like, I don't know, reading certain books, traveling, sports, music, something that for you it's in inspiring? Um, yeah, of course. Of course, there's always, um, like everywhere, it's, a, it's about finding a good balance, no? I mean, there's maybe two books I, I enjoyed reading recently. Uh, one is called, um, let's say, more more architecture focus. It's called Creative Creativity Inc. from Ed Catmull. Uh, friend and former intern from Big gave it to me as a present. Actually, it's about the the founder uh, from Pixar, and he kind of tells the evolution of of Pixar as a studio and being this crazy IT nerd and then evolving to a, a big company. And, and more on a personal level, I quite uh, enjoyed from Yuval Harari, um, Sapiens. And it's like amazing book. You could like highlight every like 30 things per page. Um, it's basically like a very brief history of the human kind. That's also like how the, the title is now, uh, politics and money and, and these kind of things changes. And then, of course, maybe maybe also to end with something something um, uh, beautiful. What I almost feel like I have to do every six months. We have a, a small studio in Italy without uh, cell phone connection, without internet, without any screen, uh, next to a hundred small apple trees and a small river, and uh, like. When you look like 12 hours every day on the screen, this is like the, the perfect breakout and, and pause place where I fully recharge. And uh, 
yeah and get a get a break from from reality yeah that's indeed something that we all the all should do in the like they find this little time in the year where we detach a little bit from all the screens and information uh well martino thank you very much for being on the podcast and i always like to say this was your first time but it's not gonna be for sure the last one we're gonna stay in touch we're not too far away from each other uh maybe i should uh just hop on the train and do a studio tour i'm i film some vlogs so we can do the the studio tour in munich and uh, when there are some big news and some cool projects you want to talk about or any other topic you're always welcome back Jorge, thank you very much for having me it was a pleasure talking to you and definitely see you soon thank you have a great evening you too bye 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 bye